We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Welcome into the Rotowire Fantasy Basketball Podcast. My name is DJ Trainer. It is Friday, October 7th, 2016. It's the year 2016. I'm joined by Shannon McEwen and Ken K. Trainkreitz. <coughs> Whistle never, never gets old, Ken. Uh, this podcast is available on iTunes and Stitcher. Feel free to leave a nice review on one of those venues. You can also find us on Audio Boom and also on the Rotowire site directly. Today, we're going to be talking about our busts. We each have a handful of busts. We're going to go over them. Next Friday, we'll be going over some of our sleepers, but I have a feeling talking about busts is just going to be a good time between us three three amigos. Um, before we do that, though, let's get into some breaking news. Um, so Gary Harris, somebody we've talked about quite a bit on this pod, is out three to four weeks with a partially torn right groin muscle. It has already been announced that Will Barton is expected to start at shooting guard in Harris's absence. Shannon, I, I, it seems like Barton has an in here to start at shooting guard, obviously at the beginning of the season. Do you think that he can take this job and run with it, even though it was announced only a week and a half ago that Harris was going to start over Barton? 
No, I don't think Barton will hold on to the job long term. Uh, he might be able to. He might be able to way, be able to carve away a few more minutes. Um, but we we've discussed this in the past. Barton's a better option with the second unit. The way he dominates the ball, uh, he doesn't fit the first unit as well as Gary Harris. Now, I'm still not a believer in Gary Harris. Um, he's good defensive perimeter option, but really, to me, the key is Jamal Jamal Murray. Jamal Murray, he's got a deep, he's 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 got a good three point range. Um, that's really his strength, and I think that fits the dynamic of the the Nuggets starting unit better. So I see Jamal Murray getting minutes off the bench, more minutes than he was expected to early on, and then as the season progresses, it's just going to open up the door for more minutes for him later in the year as well. Well, DJ, how's this changed your keeper strategy? You were uh, quite the Harris-Barton debate going the other day. Right. So I had both of those guys, and it's nice to maybe have a handcuff or something like that. I'm fully willing to admit, just like Shannon said, in terms of fantasy, Barton is Barton's the main man. The only problem is that Harris is the starter, and he was seeing like 30 minutes a game, 32 minutes per game. It's hard to ignore when he does shoot the three, when he does get you some steals. And so um, I think I did decide that I was just going to roll with Barton, hope that he gets traded, or hope that he just like solidifies himself as the sixth man on the team, which I think he well, will. Or- or the Gallinari gets hurt again, which could happen. Or the Gallinari and or Chandler get traded, freeing up more minutes for Barton at the small forward, too. Yeah, it's really tough because, you know, it's like, well, just move Barton down to small forward. He was so good for them last year. But you have both Gallinari and Chandler. And so one of those guys is, you know, going to start. And the other ones, I mean, both of those two guys should take up all the minutes at small forward. So it's just a log jam at shooting guard, at small forward. I've, I've you know, said that they're kind of stuck in the middle between an old regime and a new regime. And that old regime is Danilo and Wilson Chandler. And then Kenneth Freed is kind of stuck in the minute or stuck in the middle. Last year, he only averaged 25 minutes per game. And we have this perception of Kenneth Freed, like he's one of the most ferocious, one of the best power forwards in the league. But Denver doesn't really know what to do with him and you know what I think it's a changing of the guard at some point I wouldn't be surprised if they went young and they they dealt free they got rid of Gallinari and you know went on their way with Chandler kept one of those two to allow Barton to play because I mean the logjam of of Harris and Murray is enough not to mention even Malik Beasley so I'm really hoping that Denver does spread themselves a little thinner and really gives their younger guys more minutes I think we will see that um you know a guy like Murray um, I love his talent long-term. Uh, he's very risky fantasy play this year. I, I wouldn't draft him in most standard leagues. Um, but I, I don't expect Denver to really compete for a playoff spot. So as the season, as the season wears on, they're going to start going with the youth movement, playing their younger guys, getting guys like like Chandler, Gallinari, maybe Fareed out the door to open up minutes for these other players. On to the next bit of news here on this Friday. Obviously, there's a lot going around, but we'll just touch on some of the top-level things. And as I say top-level, I immediately regret that because the um, next person we're going to talk about is Jared Bayless. Uh, dealing with a Top-level sleeper. Top-level top sleeper. How's that? Uh, Jared Bayless dealing with that wrist issue could miss the start of the regular season. So you're looking at this Philadelphia team, and you're wondering who can step up in his absence. Luckily, over the last couple of years, we've seen what they do when, when they don't have many guys. T.J. McConnell can step up and fulfill a lot of minutes. Somebody, Shannon, I'm assuming you used him in DFS last year because he does he does get uh, quite a bit of assists and, and, and steals and whatnot. So he helps you out across the board, um, even though he is it a full have... step up? Is it a full step up? I think it's like a half step up from who? <laughs> from McConnell. I'm just joking that he's not that good. 
Oh, yeah. yeah, no, I no, I agree. I mean, Bayless, Bayless is a solid point guard for them, um, but somebody has to step up. Sergio Rodriguez uh, getting a second chance in the NBA, somebody who's got legitimate Eurobasket experience, he could step up and just play solid for them. That's, you know, I mean, it's another transitional year for this team, um, but there's minutes to go around. Do you think on night one, if Bay- Bayless Shannon is not playing, that you would give McConnell a go and, and hope that maybe you could get some of the those, those flashes games that we got from him last year it would have to be an extremely deep league it doesn't sound like <laughs> Bayless is going to be out long term if he does miss the start of the season and and Bayless is should be a popular sleeper this year I mean people should be targeting him in the second half of their drafts he's going to get tons of run for Philadelphia so I I'm not necessarily targeting TJ McConnell because of this news I need to wait to see a, a concrete timeline before I make that kind of adjustment I think this actually helps Bayless as a sleeper pick. You know, I called him out as a sleeper. Adam called him out. At at some point, if everyone's saying a guy's a sleeper, he's not a sleeper anymore. But maybe this little dinged-up injury early, you know, uh, has a few people take him down some notches on the draft board, great. Because if you're going to draft Bayless in season long, he's probably on your bench anyway to start the season. So big deal. He misses a few games. He's a veteran. He doesn't need a lengthy preseason. He'll be fine as soon as he's ready to go. Yep. I hope I say this every single podcast, but it's all about how many minutes you see on the court. Is Jared Bayless a top half point guard in the league? No. Will he see top half minutes? He quite possibly could. And so that's why we're throwing his name as a sleeper. Somebody like Gerald Henderson. Do I like Gerald Henderson to help me Uh, win my team games? No, but he could uh, see a lot of minutes this year. So you got to look at those guys, even though they're not in, even though they're not desirable options, they haven't been over the course of their career Um, in Philadelphia. They could be a gold mine. So um, guys, while we're on Philly, yeah, we've got Covington, you know, as the starting small forward, big, Everybody was huge on Covington last year. Obviously, Simmons is out now. Do we think Covington's back to 25-plus minutes a game now with the with the Sixer injuries? I, I've always been admittedly too high on Covington because he helps you out so much in that steal category, that block category, and that three-point category. The last two years, he's averaged two-and-a-half three-pointers per game. I mean, that can't be understated. The big issue is... How many minutes is he going to see? I think he's going to find his way into quite a bit of big minutes because you can play him at shooting guard. I don't think Gerald Henderson is going to play, you know, 36 minutes a game. So you can play Covington at small forward. You can move him to shooting guard. I think and I hope that he's going to see at least 28 minutes per game because I'm not so certain that Ben Simmons is going to be back anytime soon. I know the initial timeline was three months, but his camp seems to kind of want to delay it longer, maybe for the whole year. I'll put some stock in Covington and have no issues about it. Yeah, actually, I mean, the the fact that Simmons very possibly could sit out the entire season really makes me higher, a lot higher on Covington. Um, And also, I don't believe in Gerald Henderson, so I think Covington's going to see time at the two. So there should be plenty of minutes for him to play the two and the three. Um, and if he's, we, as we've seen the last couple of years, if he's getting between 25 and 30 minutes, which he should be, you know, he's good for 12, 13 points, a couple three-pointers, one and a half steals. And last year he averaged 6.3 rebounds per game. I mean, that's really good for somebody who's eligible at shooting guard. He played 67 games last year, averaged six, 6.3 rebounds. There's a lot Over of seven three attempts a game. Right, yeah, and he knocked down two and a half of those, half a block. I mean, there's so much value across the board. Um, he, he was the king of the worthless late-game three-point shots. Like, Sixers down 20, two minutes left, Covington from the corner, three-pointer good. 
and there's gonna be there's gonna be a ton of that this year right. too. So yeah. I mean that's not yeah. gonna change. <laughs> yeah. I think I saw him at the garden get uh three three pointers in the last two and a half minutes. They were down uh twenty five and I had him on, on DFS tonight and I was just cheering him on. It made my night. <laughs> I'm just looking at his game log from last year towards the end of the season. I mean, he was chucking up 13, 17, 10, 13 three-point attempts a game yeah. the last handful yeah. of games. Like, and that's, right. I think we're going to see that again this year. So I, I do like Covington. I mean, he's ranked right around 90 or 100 on most lists you find. I think that's a good place to target him. So, I think every time he hoists the three like that, he just whispers to himself, next contract, next contract. <laughs> hey, there's a lot of teams out there who need a fearless three-point shooter. Looking at you, Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, oh, yeah. I will say – the the youth in the front court bodes well for him because you throw the ball down to some of those guys they're going up against some defenders they've never faced some guys they they just can't stack up against and so I'm talking about your Okafers your Nervous yeah, Noel back your Beads and they just kick it out you know I, I don't know what to do just kick it out and Covington thinks you know the play was designed for him he has no problem <laughs> shooting the three so um, I'm gonna admittedly put a lot of stock into him I've admittedly been too high on him in years past but again if you just Look at those season averages. They are just filthy awesome. I just I just love it when a guy stacks every single category like that. Um, is shooting below 40% um, from the field in each of the last two years. But again, I mean, it, it's, it's, I, I like him a whole lot if he's seeing at least 20 minute, 28 minutes per game. Last bit of news we'll get to before we get to our bus is Tristan Thompson dealing with a foot issue will sit out the next two preseason games as a precaution I'm not worried about this injury although I will say <laughs> Gary Harris about a week ago he he left the game and we talked about him and I said I wasn't worried either um, <laughs> so I, I guess I should be a little more cautious with you're that. the Stefania Bell of the NBA and I also said that about Simmons, too, before it turned out he had a fracture. It looked like he just had the sprain. So I've got a pretty bad track record already this season. So maybe don't listen to me when I say that Thompson's foot issue doesn't seem to be uh, too worrisome. Although I say, Shannon, uh, I'd be pretty surprised if you draft Thompson in any leagues this year. I'm not a big fan of Thompson. I mean, he's going to get your rebounds, but that's about it. He doesn't block enough shots for me. Um, I mean, his field goal percentage is, is sky high, but that doesn't matter because he doesn't take very many attempts, and right. it doesn't really impact your overall team uh, shooting percentage. He's a rebound play, and that's it. I don't see him being any better than he's been in past years, so you know what to expect. I don't care that Mozgov's gone. Um, I actually still think Kevin Love's going to step up and be better for Cleveland, um, and that'll take away minutes from from Thompson. It would take like three or four injuries on that Cavs team for Thompson's shots attempts to go up. Exactly, exactly. I'm not a believer in him. Unfortunately, it looks like we lost Ken for the rest of the pod, but Shannon, we'll get into these busts, and we'll we'll uh, we'll mention Ken's, and we won't give any justification, so it'll just look like he doesn't know what he's talking about. But let's get into your first bust. My first bust is Draymond Green. Okay, all right. Definitely need some explanation here. So, you know, I, I want to preface this by saying I still like Draymond Green as a player. Um, he's obviously still going to hold tons of fantasy value, but currently he's ranked between the 15 and 20 range, somewhere in the 15 or 20 range for, for most sites. And I just can't see him reaching that value. Um, one, I, I view last season as a career best for him. Um, I just don't see everything coming together for him where he's going to be able to reach that kind of value again. 
Um, and then two, you look at the inclusion of, of Kevin Durant and what that means is less usage. Uh, the ball's going to be in Draymond's hands less than it was last season. His assists are going to go down. So instead of averaging seven or eight or nine assists a game, you know, it might be five or six this year. Um, also, I just don't, I don't see him picking up in other areas. The, the, Three-point shots, uh, defensive stats, they were already stellar. Everything was already great last year. I don't see them improving in those areas. So I see a drop-off in usage, points possibly, definitely assist, and that's just going to make it so instead of being a first end of the first or a second-round pick, he's more properly valued as like a third or fourth-round pick. So if I would not reach for him, I would not pick him in the second round. If he drops to the third or fourth, I'll consider him. But he's a bust if you pick him in the second. Yeah, I would tend to agree with you. I do also think that last year might be the best statistical career or year that he ever has. I just don't know why when you add in a world-class shooter like Kevin Durant, one of the best shooters the NBA has ever seen, why you would even allow Draymond to, to stand near the three-point line. I'd much rather have somebody like Iguodala out there who you're much more comfortable with. Uh, Ken listed Kevin Durant as one of his busts too, and and it's kind of the same line of thinking. There's only so many shots that can go around. Last year, Barnes attempted 9.8 shots per game, which is probably a little more than most people thought. KD took 19.2. So, I mean, I don't think KD is going to step away from those 19 shots per game. I do think Draymond, who attempted 10 per game last year, is going to be the one to suffer. Might be questioned though, and Waylon and I talked about this, I think that just hurts his ego a little bit. I mean, I think they can get by without somebody like Draymond. Obviously, he was the focal point of their offense. He really made them tick. But I just think that, you know, they might be better with him off the court and just providing somebody on the court who's a better three-point shooter because we know Steph can drive. Clay showed us last year that he could drive. KD can drive. I don't know why you wouldn't want to fill the perimeter with better three-point shooters than Draymond Green. Well, I, I... I will not agree with you about Clay being able to drive. That is not true. But well, I never believed that either, but w- the games where Curry was out last year, he really showed us that that's in his arsenal. He just he, doesn't he is, do it. He's definitely better at it now than he was before. Um, but with – I actually – I don't think – I think what Draymond provides, they need on the court because they already have tons of three-point shooters. So you have Curry, you have Clay, uh, and, and then you also have Durant. And I mean, those are three of the better three-point shooters in the league, specifically Clay and Curry. There's no like you need a guy like Draymond who does all the hustle, um, sets picks, plays a lot of defense. He's going to fit in perfectly with the, the the new nucleus of that team with Durant, Curry, and Clay. Um, so I'm not worried about that. I just don't see him being the prime, the primary ball handler, which he was, or the primary playmaker. I mean, I believe he led the team in assists, right? I mean, it wasn't even close. He had more assists than Curry. So there's just that's not going to happen because you're going to have Durant being a playmaker as well. You have three guys who are going to be setting up other teammates now, not just the two like it was last year. Yeah, that, that's fair. It looks like Green stepped in with 7.4. Uh, Curry had 6.7. So I, I'm fully willing to admit that Draymond Green could be a bust because people are going to look at the stats, see last year's rankings, and think, wow, i got to grab this guy as soon as I can. Yeah, he's still going to be really good. And the team's going to be ridiculous. They play at such a high, uh, fast pace. Um, they're going to score a ton of points. I mean, if you've watched the past couple preseason games with them, it's impossible not to get excited. And Draymond's had really good games in both those outings. But I just see overall what he did last year, it's going to be really hard for him to replicate that with Durant there as well. Yep, I agree, and obviously there's reasons to doubt Durant as well. Somebody's going to have to step aside a little bit, so I understand 
Ken listing Kevin Durant let's, as a potential bust. Let's talk about the Durant thing a little bit more, though. I mean, Durant is one of the three best players in the NBA. You know, basically, yes, yes. yes. I mean, any any kind of value that you put on it, you're probably going to put him as one of the three best. With Curry being another one, um, if you're just talking about basketball, you got LeBron. Um, if you're talking about fantasy, there's other options that you can include, like Westbrook or Harden. But Durant's one of the three best players in the NBA. There's yes, he's going. He already played with one of the five best players in the NBA in Russell Westbrook last year. He's already used to this dynamic. There's extra help. He's on a deeper and better team this year. But I don't see him dropping off too much. Will he average thirty points a game, twenty eight points a game? No. Um, will he be the second, second or third best fantasy player? It's possible he drops off a little bit, but he's so good, and he gets so many steals, blocks, threes, rebounds, points, great percentages. I mean, he's a 50-90 guy that even if he drops off a little bit and he goes from averaging 27 points to 24 points, he's still a top-five fantasy player. Yeah, I know. It's pretty amazing. He's got that cushion to where if he does drop off, that he's still going to be one of the better players. I like the the functionality he gives you to be able to guard power forwards competently, too. We saw that last year in the playoffs. I mean, when he wants to play defense on big guys, he can. I mean, he's so lanky, and he can shut down. He, I mean, he's, he's just really good. Kevin Durant's a really good basketball player. So uh, bust maybe from last year's numbers, but even then he could still be a top-five fantasy yeah. guy. Yeah, and the same thing with Steph Curry. You know, people who are you – He's going to be a bust this year because he can't equal last year's production. That doesn't matter. He doesn't need to equal last year's production to still be the top player in fantasy. I mean, that's how far above he was everyone last year. Great, great point. Yep. It's all relative to the rest of the competition. That's that's for sure. All right. Let's let's dive into your first uh, first bust, Giannis. Yeah. I'm going Giannis Antetokounmpo. I mean, he's being drafted right now at the drafts I'm seeing, the pre-draft rankings in the first round, in pretty much all drafts. He's, he's slotting into, uh, uh, I guess it would be like a 6 to 10 ranked player, depending on what you look at. And that's all fine and well and good. If you're going to tell me that he's going to play 82 games at point guard, then I'll say yes, he's worthy of that ranking. I'm not so convinced that he is going to be doing that. I think he eventually, at some point this year, is going to play off the ball. And I'm not saying... You know, he's going to play 20 games at point guard, and then for the rest of the 62 games of the year, he'll be moved off the ball. I'm saying that it, to knock him out of top 10 value range, it's only going to take him playing off the ball 20 to 25 games for that to happen in comparison to your other players. And so if he does play 50 games at point guard, awesome, that's great. But I don't know if he's going to be able to get enough value during that time to vault him in the top 10. I mean, I think he's going to need at least 70 games at point guard where he's threading a triple-double every game. If he plays off the ball, Shannon, we've talked about this. If he plays off the ball for 70 games this season, I mean, he's what, maybe in the top 50? That's where we feel more comfortable with him if he's playing off the ball. I, I think he'll easily be in the top, even if he wasn't playing point guard at all, I think he would easily finish in the top 50. This guy, he... Who first of all, who's going to dominate the ball for Milwaukee if he doesn't? Well, let's just say this, all right. So we have Della Vadova and we have Michael Carter Williams. Are they great point guards? No. Can they distribute the ball? Not really that well. But if they do display even just a little bit of competency and able to do that, and that allows Jason Kidd to say, you know what, let's roll MCW out there as a starting point guard for 15 games, for 20 games. And then he has that same train of thought with Delhi at any point this season. We're talking about 15 to 25 games lost at point guard for Giannis, even if it wasn't the right decision and Jason Kidd retracts that, that's still 20 to 25 games that we're losing because of that quick change. 
my my thought on is even if he's not the official point guard, like he's not listed as the starting point guard, it doesn't matter. Giannis is still going to have the ball in his hands a lot. Um, I don't care if MCW or Della Vadova's out there. I mean, a guy like Della Vadova, he played alongside Kyrie Irving and LeBron James last year, so he was used to playing off the ball, and that he's going to basically have the same dynamic this season. I don't. I just can't envision um, Giannis dropping below like twentieth. Right, most most rankings have him somewhere between eight and twenty right now. Um, I can't see him dropping lower than twentieth. If you're saying you don't want to spend a first round pick on him, I understand because um, basically, like the most uh, the most optimistic projection for Giannis is you know he goes off for like. 23 7 and 7 or 23 8 and 8 this year which is crazy like basically it's he matches what lebron james is going to do um and lebron's going at like number 12 right now i'm still not at the point where i would pick Giannis over a guy like lebron so am i picking Giannis top 10 probably not um but if i'm still picking him at like 15 i think he's going to have top 15 value even if he's not the point guard by name all right. I, I think we'll agree to disagree to a certain extent. I think we both, everyone agrees on the ceiling. Just the floor, I think, is where people have different perspectives. Yes. Um, so I, I, I put his floor higher than the 17, 17, 7, and 4 that he averaged last year. I put the floor higher than that. So, I mean, if we're talking, if we're talking 18, 7, and, and 5 or 18, 7, and 6, it's going to be hard to keep him out of the top 20. Yeah, no, no, that's fair. I just, I think you have to factor in risk. And for me, the risk is that he won't be playing point guard the whole year and that maybe MCW could find his way into, you know, handling the ball more often than anybody would like him to. One big thing that we don't talk about enough with Giannis and his value um, are his defensive stats. I mean, he essentially, he almost was like a Josh Smith type player last year. He averaged 1.2 steals and 1.4 blocks. If you're talking about three combined steals and blocks from this guy this season, and you add in the rebounds, the assists, the scorings, there should be upticks and all of that, it's, the floor is actually probably higher than what most people put it at. Yeah, and another thing, too, that I'll add on to that is this guy is going to be probably position eligible at four different positions. If you're able to get a 51% field goal percentage from your point guard eligible player, I mean, you could very quite possibly win field goal percentage because you can play Giannis at point guard. Now, he might switch around and play every which position this season, but if he's still point guard eligible, I mean, you could go with that approach and really, really be strong on field goal percentage. So uh, much line, a lot to talk about about Giannis. I have a feeling he's going to creep up into many discussions uh, pretty much everywhere around the league this year because he is so um, capable of playing many positions. Let's move into your next bus, Shannon. Serge Ibaka. This one's not so crazy. I, I don't think it's crazy at all. I was actually surprised to see how high he's ranked. You know, like Yahoo, he's like top, tw- he's like in 25, 26 range. Um, that's exactly where we have him as well. We have him at 26. Uh, across most sites, you're going to see him fall. He actually ranges like anywhere from from like 25 to, to 50 on most sites. So I think his composite ranking somewhere in, in the mid-30s. Um, I mid thirties a little bit better, but if you're talking about twenty fifth, twenty sixth ranked player, that is just way too high of a value. I see the projections for him um, on Rotowire. He's projected for seventeen points, uh, which would be a career high. Uh, two point one blocks, seven point two rebounds, solid percentages. I 
we already saw him. He had an opportunity with Oklahoma when Durant and Westbrook were both hurt. And he had an opportunity to really step up and show, like, hey, I can be a 20-point-per-game scorer. I can carry a team on the offensive end. And he wasn't able to do it. So I'm not sure why we're projecting him to see such a, you know, a five-point or a four-point uptick in production when he hasn't shown he can do that in the past. Why, what? He's not going to carry this team. He's not going to carry the Magic. He's not going to be their leading scorer. So... I, don't, I just I fail to see why there's an upgrade there. Two things I want to talk about here and hit on. Early in the years of Serge Ibaka, back when he was at Oklahoma City, Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant were, were already filing out, firing on all cylinders like four years ago. And then they added Ibaka. And they're like, wow, when Ibaka adds his offensive game, whenever that happens, back when they had Harden too, they're, like, they're going to be unstoppable. And then Thunder fans waited a year, and they waited another year, and another year, and he ne- never developed that offensive game. Now people are already willing to throw shade on Westbrook and Durant and say they never let him develop that game. But nonetheless, for whatever reason, he didn't develop that game. So now that he's out there, he doesn't have that take over the game. Or if he gets the shot attempts, he's going to get you points. It's just not in his game. The second point I want to get to is the reason why he's been drafted so high over the last four years or so. He's been a second-round pick, essentially, for the last, for the last four, four years. years. Yeah. Exactly, is because of blocks. He's one of three guys in the league that can get you three blocks, uh, along with Hassan Whiteside, with Rudy Gobert, DeAndre Jordan, outside looking in in terms of getting to three blocks per game. I still think he retains that value because he's one of the very few guys that you're going to be in the top. Like if you're in a 12-team rotisserie league and you have Serge Ibaka, you're going to finish top three in blocks. That's just how it works out. And I do think that he retains some of the value that we've always put in him over the last four years on this new team, even though I'm not expecting him to be their leading scorer. Well, one point about his blocks, and this is the reason why I don't think he can reach like second or early third round value. There's a trend. Back in 2011-2012, he averaged a career high 3.7 blocks. That was when he was at his peak, pretty much, and it's solely on those blocks. He was averaging like almost twice as many blocks as anybody else in the, in, in the NBA at that time. Um, it's dropped every single season since then. 3.7, 3, 2.7, 2.4, 1.9 last year. He, he's playing more minutes every year as well, so it doesn't really make sense why his blocks are going down. Then you add the fact that he was, you know, yes, guys like Kevin Durant uh, can block shots. Uh, Steven Adams somewhat is a defensive presence. I, he's more of a defensive presence than a shot blocker. Um, but on mag- on the Magic, he's he's going to possibly play in a lot of minutes alongside Bismack Biombo, who is a big-time shot blocker right. as well. So I don't think that Ibaka, and depending on Magic's dynamic, Ibaka might not be asked to go out there and block a ton of shots. I don't see him getting above two and a half is like the ceiling that I would put it at this year based on his production the last two or three years. Two, two 1.9, what he did last year, 2.1. 2.1 is what we haven't projected at. Feasible, totally realistic projection, but I just don't see him being a two and a half, three block guy anymore. You know what has also risen in accord or risen as blocks have fallen are field goal attempts. Back when he averaged 3.7 blocks per game, uh, he was only attempting 
uh, seven shots per game. That was back when, you know what, if, if the ball is given to me and I have an open shot, I'll take it. Otherwise, I know my place. I know what I'm good at. That has slowly fallen away. He's trying to, you know, add a three-pointer to his game, add a deep two, um, doing some, like, maybe some off-the-ball stuff, too. And his game is getting complicated, and he's losing focus, or at least his stats attribution has lost focus of what he truly is good at. Do I think that he's going to refine himself, that defensive just mastermind? I don't think so in Orlando because he's going to look around. He's going to see a lot of young guys. He's going to say, you know what? Um, not only do do I think I can lead this team, but I'm fighting for minutes against guys like Biombo, like Vucevic. And so I, I'm not so certain he's going to go back and be uh, like a specialty player like we'd like him to be for fantasy. I think he's going to overcomplicate his game uh, yet another. I mean, he's only 25 years old. Right. He's trying to reinvent himself. He wants to score. He wanted to leave Oklahoma City to get more touches. So I don't think that we're going to revert back to those block numbers that we put a lot of value in him again. And so, yes. Uh, after all that, I do see you um, see a lot of validity in saying that he'll be a bust this year. And, and again, it's similar to the Draymond Green bust label. Serge Ibaka is still going to have tons of fantasy value. And the two blocks he gets per game, the 14 or 15 points, seven or eight rebounds, they're going to be great. I just don't see him meeting his current draft stock. So a round or two later, he's a decent pick. All right, so let's jump into Ken has Dirk Nowitzki listed <clears throat> The only explanation he has, the only explanation needed is 38 years old. Yeah, Dirk surpassed expectations last year, but I think it's just going to be a very quick fall off. I mean, he's awesome. He's great. Maybe I'm not willing to admit it'll be this season, but when it does happen, I think it'll all come at once. Are you afraid that it'll happen this year with Dirk and that he'll be overdrafted? And quite simply, you know, uh, Father Time will get the best of him. Well, I mean, the one thing Dirk has going in his favor is the fact that Dallas hasn't brought in that new franchise player yet. The guy who's going to replace Dirk is the face of the franchise. He's not on the roster right now. Harrison, no, you're not putting Harrison Barnes as the no, next franchise no, player? No, no, I am not. So, it's to me, last year was kind of an abbreviation. It, last year, Dirk actually kind of reverted. He started... He played a little bit more, played about two minutes more per game than he did the previous season, averaged an extra bucket, more rebounds. He just he played really, really well. Um, but 38, that's old. I mean, Dirk's the – he's like a Tim Duncan type player where he's always going to have some value. But I do think you're going to continue to see a downward trend in last year. Um, don't don't buy into last year's uptick. It's going to be more more like it was the, the previous season where it started to tick downwards and, and – his, proje- his production just has to start fading at some point. This was one of the main things that uh, us uh, editors were fighting about in terms of projections, and Dirk's minutes were, were a big one. Because last year we projected him to take a hit, and you're right, he added two more minutes, and this year it's kind of like, well, normally they would drop, but last year they rose. Like, what do we do with his minutes? And, and it's really tough. I, I'm of the opinion, and I think I got outvoted, that it's going to drop by maybe five or six minutes per game this year. Um, but the, the the majority reason came out said, I, we as, us at Rotowire, I think it'll stay the same, but maybe he'll play less games this year, which yes. I'm willing to admit. I, I think less games is uh, definitely a possibility. One of the things about Dirk and why he still played – He's played 80, 77, 75 games the past three years. One of the reasons is because Dallas isn't like San Antonio. They're not like Cleveland. They're not these world beaters who can who can afford right. to have their star player sit for seven, eight, ten games during the regular season. That's going to be the case again this year. So while I do think he plays less games, it's it's 
it's hard for them. Like he actually has to suffer an injury. They can't really afford to just give him tons of rest. Good point. Now the minutes, I agree with you on minutes. It's going to dip. I would put him at about 28 minutes this year. So 28 minutes means he's still good for like 16, five and a half, which holds value. But I probably am not drafting him where he's currently slotted at. Right, and somebody who got six and a half rebounds last year and obviously almost two three-pointers per game. If you're going off last year's season totals, you're probably going to be drafting Dirk a little too high. And I would say maybe not even based on a per-minute standpoint, but on a game's played standpoint. Yeah, and right I mean, right now we have Dirk rated 39th. I'm not picking him 39th. Like, it may be, maybe 59th, 69th. But 39th, I can't do that. We did go down on his game on his games projected 73, so we have him missing nine games. It's probably a conservative mark. Um, wouldn't be surprised if he, you know, maybe just got days off on back to backs just completely this year on the KG train, um, which nobody likes to see. But you know what? If they do have a chance to make the playoffs, maybe it'll be his last hurrah. They certainly want him healthy. Now if- let, let, let's let's jump to Ken's last guy here, Rajon Rondo. Um, that's the last bus Ken has listed, I'm in agreement. I agree with Ken on this. Um, Rondo averaged a ridiculous 11.7 assists per game. Now, that's on a horrible Kings roster uh, that played at a fast pace. Rondo was playing for his next contract. There's no way he matches that total, right? Yeah, I'm going to begrudgingly agree with you because I have uh, keeper stock in Rondo, but admittedly, you know, I'll still take him for less of what he was worth last year and still think that he retains some value. Big thing here is Dwayne Wade traditionally needs the ball in his hand. Jimmy Butler traditionally needs the ball in his hand for those guys to work at at optimal levels. Now, one thing I have seen in the preseason, and I hate to put too much vested interest in it, is that Dwayne Wade looks like he might attempt more three-pointers than he ever has. He really has not been a three-point shooter. I think the general fan, you would say, oh, Dwayne Wade, is he good at shooting three-pointers? Somebody would say yes. But if you actually look at his stats, he's not been a good three-point shooter at all over the course of his career, which makes it worrisome because uh, you know Rondo needs the ball in his hand as well. I think generally his stats will go down, but he's going to see a lot of minutes. And I don't know. There's there's a lot to like with maybe a little pick-and-roll action with Todd Gibson, Robin Lopez, some veteran guys. When teamed up with Rondo, if they like each other, if there's a little chemistry, they could have something going on with Butler playing off the ball, with Wade playing off the ball, if everybody is in agreement with that. My big thing is here, I don't know if these guys are going to get along to make things work out or not. Right, right. And with with Rondo, it just kind of it depends on where you value him, where you're targeting him. Um, experts are not in agreement on Rondo. I mean, he he ranges anywhere from the low 40s all the way up to like 110 in the rankings. So it really can vary. We've got him right kind of in the middle there at 68. 68, I actually think is pretty good value because he's right there with guys like Wes Matthews, Otto Porter. I mean, Patrick Beverly, for instance, is 71. If I'm picking between Rondo and Patrick, Patrick Beverly, I'm picking Rondo. Yeah, same here. So I don't, I want, don't target Rondo in the fourth round, but if you're getting him in the fifth, sixth, seventh round, He's a decent pick because he is going to have steals. He's going to have uh, decent rebounds for a point guard, and, and he's going to have good assist numbers. Uh, yeah, giving you five and a half rebounds 
each of the last four years and beyond that he was still right around the four and a half so in terms of point guards that's definitely on the high end for rebounds so I like that quite a bit big knock on him traditionally over the course of his career's free throw percentage so you'll need to find a little leeway doesn't kill you as much as this next guy does for me though Shannon and I'm throwing out Andre Drummond as a bust this year and the reason why it all boils down to his free throw shooting percentage. Now, um, granted, if you're not playing in a, a league with percentages, then he's one of your better options. I mean, if you look at the Rotowire rankings, the cool thing we have on our website is you can customize it. And so you can say, my league plays with these certain categories and leave out the rest. Now, that for guys like Rondo and guys like Drummond, that's going to drastically change their value. If you're including free throw percentage, we're not that high on Drummond as a company because he's essentially going to lose you the free throw percentage category, especially in rotisserie leagues. It's really hard to win a league, a rotisserie league, if you're going to be in the bottom one or two spots in any category. It's just very, very hard. I'm not so certain. Obviously, Drummond can lead the league in rebounds. Um, but I just think that he just destroys one whole category for you, and you should look onward. Now, we're already thinking this, and everybody kind of knows this about Dwight Howard, and I think people are still uh, not in that same train of thought with Andre Drummond. They, they just look at the rebounds or look at his upward trend, trend as a young player and don't realize that he might attempt eight free throws per game this year, and he will lose you in an entire category. So I think I might stay away. I'll agree with you there. I mean, Drummond free throw categories, especially for rotisserie leagues, he's going to drain you. He's going to take a lot of free throws, and it's going to be a horrible percentage. It might be a little bit better than last year, but he's not going to all of a sudden be a 65% free throw shooter. That's that's not going to happen. Even as a Pistons fan, I'm not going to be that optimistic. So it's going to be horrible. It's going to drain you. It's, it's interesting, though, to see where he ranks. Like if, if you're in a league that doesn't count free throw percentage, he's a top 10 player. Yes, there's no I, – you wouldn't argue with that? No, I, I wouldn't argue with that at all because you can look at it the other way and say, well, he could win you rebounds or get you very close, right. put you in a good position. Um, but if we're looking at traditional right. non-category leagues, it's, it's, it's so hard for me to attach myself to a player that's going to lose you it. He's going to lose the entire category for you. You can have James Harden and Kevin Durant on that same team, and still I'm not certain that you would win a category. It's really tough, and even back during Dwight Howard's heyday, I tested that theory m- multiple years in a row because I just wanted to figure out a way to beat it. You know, I figured, okay, I get Dwight Howard. I'm going to win blocks. I'm going to win field goal percentage. I'm going to win rebounds. Mm-hmm. Now, I know I'm taking free throws, but if I pair them with a bunch of 85% free throw shooters or some high-volume guys, is it going to be enough? And it never was. I was always still last in free throw percentage. And in a rotisserie league, that's pretty much impossible to overcome. Um, I Nine categories, if you're taking one of them, Good luck. You got to go hard into it, though. So, it, yeah. like, you really, if you get Drummond, you need to get Dwight Howard in the league. If you get Howard, you need to get Drummond. You need to get That's Rondo. True. Like, you need to go all in. You can't try to make up for it. Just accept the fact that you're going to be last and go for it. Because then you're affecting your draft strategy and you're not really thinking about other categories. You're so focused on making up for that one category. You're really not looking at the broader picture here. If you get Rondo, if you get Drummond, if you get Howard, you should really consider, not so much with Rondo, but with Howard and Drummond, you really, and DeAndre Jordan, of course, is somebody we need to throw into this discussion. Those three guys, ideally you get all three or you get none. Do you see the NBA's new rules on, on um, hacking players off the ball and how you can't uh, do it in the final two minutes of any quarter uh, changing 
with Andre Drummond and maybe he takes less free throw attempts? That's possible, but teams were doing it right from the start. You know, they were trying to get other teams out of rhythm from the beginning. I mean, it wasn't just an issue at the end of games. It was an issue at the end of first quarter. I mean, at any at any point during the game. I mean, if you can trade a one-pointer or zero for, for even just a two-point bucket, you're going to do that all day long. Right. So it's still going to be a broader issue. Um, maybe they take one or two or three attempts off, but you're still going to be hurt quite a bit. Those guys were attempting seven, eight, nine free throws per game last year. That is a yeah. lot. It is a lie. And Drummond's one of the guys who experts can't really agree on. Um, he usually ranges between 20 and 70 on most sites. Uh, we're actually way lower on him. Uh, in nine-category leagues, we've got him at like 108. Um, I know that's hard to believe. Like Hard to believe. Most people can't fathom. Someone who we have projected for 17 points and 14 and a half rebounds plus three steals and blocks combined could rank that low. Um, but in nine-category leagues, it's tough. If you're in a head-to-head league, I think it's fine targeting him, and he's still like a second-round pick. Yeah, fair enough. Let me just give my last guy here, and then we'll get into your last two, Shannon. I already mentioned him earlier on. Kenneth Fareed, he only saw 25 minutes per game with Denver last season. I think they might be wanting to move him. I think they want to move on as a franchise. Granted, he's not that old, but they just aren't utilizing him as much as you'd like. I think the... The overall thought on him is that he's one of the better power forwards in the league, but he's just not on the court. He just doesn't mash up well uh, with what they're going for, and so I'm going to avoid him with an uncertain future ahead of him. Granted, he could get traded and see 34 minutes per game because we know he can do that. as Physically, as a player, he can withstand a lot of minutes, but he's just not getting them. Well, Denver's got the Itch brothers, right? Jokic and, and Nurkic? Yep, exactly. So, those two guys are going to see lots of run. Actually, there's a preseason game this week where they played a lot together mm-hmm. um, and both had good games. So that's the future of that team. Um, Fareed's a great per-minute player. Uh, I just don't see him. I'm with you. I, I think his, his playing time is going to dip, and you know he's probably going to be like eight points and seven rebounds per game this year, which that's, that's Taj Gibson territory, right. which in most standard leagues doesn't have a ton of value. Yeah, last thing I'll say is it's coming from both sides. So you have the Itch brothers, like you said, and then at small forward, you've got Gallinari, you've got Chandler, and you have Barton. And Gallinari and Chandler can play power forward. And so you've got it coming from both sides. I just think he gets squeezed out of the rotation at some point this year. Shannon, you've got two more busts here. Let's go over them. Yeah, the first one's Miles Turner. Um, here's another... Another example of a player who I love. Um, I think Turner's going to be a very good NBA player, but he's also extremely young. And right now, his rankings, you, you can see him ranked anywhere from the, the mid to high 30s to 100. Um, we, have him, we have him listed, let's see here, 90. So we're, we're kind of in the middle there with him. I just, 90, I, I'm okay with, but if you're taking him in the, 40, 50, 60 range, which is where a lot of the a lot of the sites will have them. If you're playing on Yahoo or ESPN, you're going to see them rank pretty high. I don't see them producing at that level. I mean, one, that team's deeper than I think most people give it credit for. Indiana, you've got Jeff Teague, Monte Ellis, Paul George. That's why. Why would their front court even need to attempt shots exactly, with those three guys? Exactly. And and Turner, it looks like he's going to start, but they also brought in Al Jefferson, who. He, you know, he's he's on the twilight of his career, the last legs of his career, um, but he's still a very productive player, especially on the offensive end. And while it looks like Jefferson's going to play behind Turner and come off the bench, 
I still think it's going to eat into Turner's playing time because Turner goes out there and he's struggling. Uh, I could easily see the Pacers just yanking him out early, plugging in Al Jefferson, um, going with other options. So for me, it's tough. I don't think this is the year Turner breaks out. He'll have some strides, have some nice games, and build upon his rookie season. But I'm not, I'm not going to invest a top 70 draft pick on him. And what you just said, Shannon, they did that last year. And there were portions where they just yanked him out of the game. He wasn't a good fit. It didn't make sense. They yanked him out. He only played 60 games last year. Um, you'll, you've hear, heard me often, you will hear me often talk about the three-year mark. And so that third year is really when I put a lot of vested interests in players and saying, will they make that jump? You know, they have maybe like a 50-50 rookie season where they, you know, see games in like 40 games. And then the next year they see more time, but they aren't necessarily a staple in the rotation. That third year is really when I'm looking. He's on the thir- three-year track. I don't necessarily think he's going to break out like somebody like Porzingis has an opportunity to this year. Porzingis is not on the three-year track. That guy is going to go full-blown full this year. Um, not much time left, Shannon, here, so let's get to your last uh, last bust. Zach Levine, Minnesota shooting guard slash point guard. Again, it's, it's mostly team dynamic. Uh, just the fact that they have Rubio, Wiggins, um, I'm spacing on the, the rookie's name. Chris, uh, Chris, Chris Dunn. Chris Dunn. Yeah. Uh, Cat, Carl Anthony Towns, Gorgie Jang. I don't – to me, Levine's like their fourth or fifth option at best. And right now he's ranked um, – consensus rank is around 60 to 70. Um, you'll see him as high as 40 uh, for some rankings, down to 130 on others. But if you're looking – if you're going in your draft and they have him listed as a pre-draft rank in the 50 or 60 range – you're spending way too much for a player that's going to be the fourth or fifth option and just won't see. He'll see some run, but I don't think he's going to see over 32 minutes. I don't think he's going to see a high usage just because of all the other players on that team. Yeah, and this team is in transition. Let's not forget, Tibbs is a great coach, but I think people are reading too much into what he did with Chicago. I I think they need a year or two, a year and a half to really get going. And I don't think that bodes well for Levine. So and you're right. A fourth or fifth option on a team, a very young team, that's not a consensus to make the playoffs. This team might not make the playoffs. I don't think they are going to. I'm admittedly high on Chris Dunn as well. So, And I don't think Chris Dunn's necessarily going to eat into Rubio's value as much as he will Levine's. I think Levine's the guy who hit, takes a ding because Chris Dunn steps up. Yep, I, I think that's certainly possible. So we threw out a few names. Uh, I guess we've got uh, – I'm going to keep this list, Shannon, and we'll, we'll come back to it maybe at the All-Star break and at the end of the year. Uh, we'll, we can either laugh about it or we can gloat about it. It, it should be fun. Uh, thanks so much for joining us on this Friday pod. Shannon, you want to say one more yeah, thing? Yeah, we, we have to promote the NFBKC contest. Ken Kreitz and myself are co-managing a team. Uh, go to nfbkc.stats.com, sign up. They have a big uh, a big basketball championship for yearly leagues. Uh, and then you can also do a RotoWire portion of it. Uh, if you check the online drafts out, you'll see the RotoWire drafts. Ken and I are drafting on October 13th. So that's the past two RotoWire basketball champions who you can play against. We're co-managing. We'll see how it goes. It's probably going to be a disaster. Um, but this, uh, this is a great league to play in. Lots of fun. $350 entry. Um, and I think the grand prize is 10K. So lots of money up for grabs. Yeah, if you want more information, should be pretty easy based on what Shannon just said. If you want more information, hit Shannon up on Twitter, at RotoShannon. You can also hit up Ken Kreitz if you want to talk a little smack. Ken will certainly talk it right back to you, at Ken Kreitz on Twitter. 
I will say um, we're doing four podcasts a week this NBA season. Nick Whalen and I will be back on Monday. And then either Tuesday or Wednesday, Nick and I are going to interview Kale Chenard, who writes the ho- writes for the Hawks on NBA.com. Should be a good week next week as we inch closer and closer to the regular season.